Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. This is a place to get equipped to make a difference for the kingdom of God. So get ready to be empowered by this message. I'm going to talk about the common viewpoint that Christians and churches and pastors should stay silent about political matters. So thank you, Chris, for the warm-up. I'm going to dig in a little more than that. So in 2016, a group of about 1,100 churches in Oklahoma rallied together to end abortion in our state. I wish I could have been a part of that. I just didn't know about it. But their strategy was really clever. They realized that doctors are licensed by the state, not the federal government. So if you want to practice medicine in Oklahoma, you have to be licensed in Oklahoma to practice. So combine this with the fact that, did you know, doctors take an oath to cause no harm to their patients. You talk about abortion, and that's willingly ending the life of one of their patients. So they worked to create a law where in the state of Oklahoma, they could remove the license of any doctor who performed an abortion. If passed, that would end abortion in our state because there would be no doctors who could actually do it. They wrote the law. They met with Governor Fallon at the time, and she agreed to sign it if they could get it to her desk. And get this, they got it passed by the House. They got it passed by the Senate, and there it went to Governor Fallon's desk, and it sat there. And she waited until the end of the session, and she vetoed it when there was no time for anybody to overturn her veto. I tell you this for two reasons. First, look at what's possible when the body of Christ comes together and the difference they can make. They got it to the House, they got it to the Senate, and they almost ended abortion in our state. That's just incredible. And secondly, it reveals the state of our current politicians. They do a lot of lip service. They tell you they will vote and do godly things, and then they get in office and they wimp out. And there's a reason it's like this, and it's not just politicians who act this way. Actually, most Christians in America act this way. And it reminds me of a successful businessman who was very involved in his church. But when they asked him, how do you share your faith throughout the rest of the week? Here's what he told them. I'm a businessman who happens to be a Christian, but I'm not a Christian businessman. Like, is that even possible? It's not because either Jesus is Lord of your life or he's not, right? For this guy, he let Jesus in for an hour on Sundays but he wouldn't let him in the rest of the week. As ridiculous as this businessman sounds, it's really the reality for most of American Christians. And it explains why America is free-falling into perversion and ungodliness. It's how our governor can lead the National Day of Prayer and then go on and veto a bill on abortion. Jesus is Lord of her public prayer time, but not Lord of how she administrates. This is how those conservative, family-loving Christian candidates, they tell you they're going to, I mean, They tell you all this stuff, and then they get in office, and they are champions of gambling and liquor once they actually get in there. It's craziness. How did we get here? It's because we try to impose a secular worldview on the Bible when it can only be understood through a godly worldview. Did you know that 100% of the Bible was written by Jewish authors? 100% of it. Every word written was inspired by God, but it was written by somebody with a godly worldview, with a Jewish worldview. By the way, if you give in to this hogwash about how people who hate Jewish people, you better stop that and don't be involved with that. You should love the Jewish people. Are they doing everything right? No, but neither are we. And you know what? We wouldn't have the Bible. We wouldn't have Jesus. We wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for the Jewish people. So you better love them. You better pray for them. And you better bless them. 
So over time, though, so um, over time, the church has grown exponentially. On the day of Pentecost, the church was 100% Jewish. Did you know that? Amazing. But then it didn't take long for it to expand into the pagan Gentile world. That was the Apostle Paul's mission, right? Take the good news to the Gentiles. But as it expanded, the Greek line of thought invaded the church's thinking, and we call it Gnosticism. And what this is, is the Greeks believed that the spiritual is good, but the physical is evil. Only the soul can be redeemed. The body is just sinful and earthly. And this led to the conclusion that you can sin in your body all you want to, as long as your heart is pure. They believed sin was just a flesh thing. It wasn't the real you who was sinning, so it didn't really matter. Well, if you spent much time in the Bible, you know this is nonsense. Let me just show you a few scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In other words, you only need to consult God if it's something you are doing. Everything else, just don't worry about it. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. So even though the Bible is clear that Jesus is involved, he's the Lord of every part of our lives, including this flesh suit or whatever you want to call it, the Greek way of thought has caused us to compartmentalize our Christianity. It kind of looks like this paper plate or the styrofoam plate. We have our church over here, and we have our family over here, and then everything else is over here. Christianity is something we do on Sunday mornings, but we're not going to let it interfere with every other part of our life. We have our spiritual life over here, and then everything else is over there. And then we keep everything Christian in its own box. We have our sacred box and our secular box, and notice how much smaller that sacred box is. So let me ask you a question. What part of your life is Jesus not Lord of? Because it's only those things that we should not be talking about in church. Some of you got it. So Christianity, it's not something we do. It's not something we attend on Sunday mornings. It's, it's who we are because Jesus is Lord of our lives. You know, at youth group this past Wednesday, we were answering the question, a great question that came up. How do I know if I'm going to heaven or hell? It's a great question. Well, I can tell you this. It has nothing to do with how many times you went to church, how many people you prayed for, how much you gave to your favorite charity. Nothing of that. Nothing of that stuff will get you there. The only way to heaven is Jesus Christ. You must believe that God raised him from the dead, and you must declare him as Lord over your life. Some people get all messed up on this. They say, well, I'm saved by grace, so it doesn't matter how I live. Well, got some news for you this morning. God's grace is not what saves you. God's grace is what makes salvation available to you. Mm. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. But God loved you so much that he sent his only son as a sacrifice for your sins. That is God's grace making salvation available to you. But you still have to receive salvation. Just because it's available doesn't mean you automatically are saved. It's kind of like if I bought you this new car and parked it in your driveway and put a nice red bow on the top of it. The car is available to you. But it's not actually yours until you get the keys and get in it and go for a drive. God's grace makes salvation available to you, but salvation doesn't become yours until you receive it. And here's how you receive it. We find it in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You must truly believe that, God, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. You got to believe it. 
and you have to declare him openly as Lord over your life. That's how you receive the gift of salvation. You know, the result of believing in Jesus, believing that he was raised from the dead, is that you declare him as Lord of your life. You really can't separate the two. How I like to say it all the time is if you believe in Jesus, then you follow Jesus. They go together. You can't separate them. Here's another way to say it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And even for more clarity, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Listen to me, though. We are not saved because of a transformed life. That's not what saves us. The transformed life is not what saves us. But a transformed life is a result of our salvation. If you're not being transformed, are you truly saved? Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you're going to live a perfect life from the moment of salvation. Anybody in the room can... Amen. She's going to give me an amen. She wasn't saying that she has lived a perfect life from the moment of salvation. But what I am saying is that a transformation begins the moment that you're saved, and it continues all the way until you see Jesus face to face. You see, declaring Jesus as Lord means you're on a journey with him of being transformed as you allow him to change the way that you think. It's a journey. So don't tell me you're saved when there's no result of your salvation, because salvation is the power of God coming into your life, not just to forgive sin, but to free you from sin and to transform your life. True salvation is obvious to everybody else because it transforms you into a new person. And here's how James explains it in James chapter 2. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Can't you see that if your faith didn't produce results, it's useless? James said it. It wasn't me. So in America, we've redefined what it means to live by faith. We live our lives as we want to. We justify our behavior along the way. And then when it all falls apart, we end up in a big mess. We get on our knees and we say, God, please fix it. I have faith now. I promise. Just fix it. That's not living by faith. Living by faith means trusting what the Lord tells you to do in his word. You obey it and you apply it to your life. That's what living by faith truly is. You know, Jesus told us to go make disciples. Anybody agree with that? He said, go make disciples. He, he didn't say, go make church members. Go, go make people who repeat the sinner's prayer. He didn't say any of that. He said, go make disciples. Well, what's a disciple? To be considered a disciple of Jesus Christ, you got to follow him. You got to do what he do. He does and think what he thinks. You know, the one way that the Jews measure the maturity of the disciple is the amount of dust that they accumulate on their clothing from following their rabbi so closely. Watching him, imitating him, applying his teachings. So true disciples of Jesus, they walk with him daily. They study his teaching. They apply it to their lives. Why? Because... <laughs> They're declaring Jesus as Lord, right? So let me ask again, what part of your life is Jesus not Lord of? That's why no area of life is excluded here at No Limits. We proclaim Jesus as Lord of our lives, not just our Sunday mornings. So am I going to preach on spiritual matters? Uh, yeah. How about physical matters? Uh-huh. How about relational matters? Yeah. Am I going to preach on government stuff? <laughs> yeah, I am. 
because Jesus is Lord of all of it. Yet most pastors say, I only preach the gospel. Sounds really holy. Maybe I'll start saying that. I only preach the gospel. People know I'd be lying if I did that statement. But it, it kind of sounds holy until you examine, well, what did the Apostle Paul preach on? Who, you know, he's the one who preached the gospel, right? Well, of course, he preached on Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah. He taught on a righteous government and taxes and sexual purity and marriage and circumcision, work ethic, integrity and business, gossip, care for widows and orphans, eschatology, which is end time stuff, cultural issues. So for all those who say, I stand with the Apostle Paul, I only preach the gospel. Well, 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 looks like you're going to have to take the gospel into all areas of life. Have a good time. In 2003, George Barna completed a survey, and he asked self-proclaiming Christians about their view of life. And at the end of the study, he found out that only 9% of Christians have a biblical worldview. 9%. He did the study again in 2021 and found out that only 6% have a biblical worldview. So I kind of, we're trending in the wrong direction, y'all. And then this year, he studied pastors and found that only one-third of pastors have a biblical worldview. How did this happen? Because we've compartmentalized Christianity. I'll keep my Christianity over here and my work over there. I'll keep my Christianity over here and my voting over there. I'll only listen to a pastor who only preaches the gospel. I don't want them talking about government. I don't want them talking about abortions. I don't want them talking about vaccines. I don't want them talking about how the media is lying to me. Only preach the gospel. So here we are. The strategy has worked out great for our nation. So what part of your life is Jesus not Lord of? Because here at No Limits Church, Jesus is Lord of it all. And that's why I'm going to preach on it all. Because the Bible has something to say about it all. So, all that to say this, we have an election coming up a week from Tuesday. So, I want to share my perspective on a few of the candidates this morning. And our government team put together a voter guide for the rest of them to help you with those. So, this time, two of the most critical things on our ballot are the governor and the school superintendent. That's why all the political ads that you've seen are around these two positions. Anybody got a postcard about it all? Yeah, lots of postcards. So, for the governor, it's between Kevin Stitt and Joy Hoffmeister. And to be honest, I'm not excited about either candidate. But if you're voting with a biblical worldview, Stitt is the clear winner. See, when Roe versus Wade was overturned, Stitt was one of the first governors to sign a law banning abortion in Oklahoma. Yeah, that's amazing. When other states were shutting churches down because of COVID, Stitt didn't do that. When vaccines were being mandated, Stitt would not mandate vaccines. When it comes down to it, Stitt handled the last two years better than most governors. He didn't do perfect, but he handled it a lot better than most, and I'm so thankful to live in Oklahoma. Although it'd be kind of cool to live in Florida. (laughs) And if you've seen the political ads, you know they're peddling two things against it. First, they're saying, he's going to take $2.5 million away from the public schools. He's going to ruin rural schools. They're going to shut down. This is because Stitt supports a school voucher program. He believes that state funding should follow the student. So if a parent wants to enroll their child in a private school, Stitt believes that state funding should follow that student to make it easier for them to be enrolled in that private school. And I agree with Stitt on this one because parents should be the ones who are in control of their kids' education. I hope you agree with that. And since our state does fund education, that funding should follow whatever the parent, however the parent chooses to educate. 
The other ad you'll see is that Stitt is against Indians. This is because he's trying to overturn the McGirt versus Oklahoma case, which made it so that state courts could no longer prosecute crimes that were committed by or against Oklahomans who are also tribal members. In other words, if you're a tribal member, you can only be prosecuted by tribal courts, not the state courts. The result has been hundreds of criminal cases being dismissed, and the criminals have just been let go. Again, I'm with Stitt on this one. All Oklahomans should be accountable to the same court system. There's no reason tribal nations should have sovereignty on this issue. It doesn't even make sense. Speaking of tribal nations, I am part of the Cherokee Nation, y'all. And they need an overhaul. They're one of the most woke, oppressive organizations that I've ever seen, and their power definitely needs to be limited. I have a feeling that one day I will run for a tribal council seat and show up as a thorn in their side. (laughs) Waiting for the Lord's timing on that one. Now, when it comes to Joy Hoffmeister, you really don't know where she stands on important issues. For one, she switched from Republican. She was a lifelong Republican, and she switched to Democrat just ahead of the governor's race. Yet in a recent debate, when they tried to categorize her with her new Democratic colleagues like Joe Biden, she wouldn't call herself a Democrat. She just said, I'm an Oklahoman. It's kind of like a little sidestep, right? When asked about abortion, it turns out she's not for it and she's not against it. She just hangs out somewhere in the middle and can be whatever you need her to be in the moment. She's wishy-washy. She talks a lot about herself and how many miles that she's put on her car. I don't know why she keeps talking about that over and over again. But when you watch her in a debate, you can tell she's just saying whatever she needs to say to get votes. Go watch the debate. Her and Stitt did a debate, and you should watch that. She's exactly what the left needs to take over Oklahoma because she would fold under the intimidation of the left. She would fold. I don't think she's a bad person. She's just not fit for the governor of Oklahoma. We need somebody who's strong on these issues and will stand up for him. So I'll be the first to say that Stitt has issues too. I wish we had a better option, but between the two, which is all we get to vote for, y'all, Stitt is the clear winner if you want to align your vote with biblical values. Now let's talk about the superintendent of public instruction, the choices between Ryan Walters and Jenna Nelson. To me, this is the most exciting thing on our ballot this time, this election, because Ryan Walters is an amazing choice for those who are looking to defend conservative Christian values in our schools. It's amazing. Walters is very open about his viewpoint on key issues. He's pro-life. He is for religious freedom. He's against LGBTQ in schools, praise God. He is for school choice. He's against vaccine mandates, and he protects the Second Amendment. He's just a great candidate. Now, Nelson is quiet, is pretty quiet on most of these issues, so we don't really know where she stands on them, but it's, that's a sure sign that she'll be easily intimidated by the left, just like Hoffmeister. But we do know that she does support LGBTQ in schools, and she is against school choice. We do know those two things. So this really tells us all we need to know for this position. Nelson would continue to allow sexual perversion to be promoted to our kids. She doesn't think that parents have the right to choose anything other than public education, Ryan Walters is the clear winner for everybody who wants to align their vote with the Bible. I actually got to see him in person. It was just incredible. Great guy. So to recap, I'm voting for Kevin Stitt for governor and Ryan Walters for superintendent of public instruction. So the election is a week from Tuesday. 
And these are the key positions on the ballot, but there are many other things that you're going to be voting for, so be sure to get the voter guide. Actually, can I just have the ushers go ahead and pass those out for me, because I want to make sure that everybody gets one. And thank you, government team, for putting that together, because I know that is a lot of work. I know why most people don't research these things, because, man, it's exhausting. So I hope you now understand that it's okay for pastors to preach on all areas of life, including politics. Actually, I believe it's our duty as shepherd of our congregations. After all, what part of our lives is Jesus not Lord of? Hopefully after this message today, your answer is none. None. Jesus is Lord over every area of my life. Man, that was good, wasn't it? Help us get God's word out to everyone who needs it by partnering with us financially. Your generous giving is what enables us to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Visit nolimits.fyi to give securely online. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a message. And thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.